Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, I am joined by Spencer Hillegoss. He's the CEO and co-founder of Madison Investing. Welcome to the show, Spencer. Thanks so much, Heather. Really excited to be here. When I read some of the information that you have, I was very interested and my, my brain was piqued about this playing financial offense versus defense. Is this like a football team offense and defense? Like, what are we talking about? Do I have to get the X's and O's out and draw a map and figure out how to financially defend myself? <laughs> I, I totally see how you got there with the term, Heather. Um, it, it is not as complex as you made it just sound, but it's really taken a pretty surprising and remarkable journey, at least from our perspective, to land on this ethos that we use. Um, and I'm happy to tell you more about it, but um, anyway, I, I think maybe a little bit of background on me first. You know, I think uh, I am currently now a, a full-time real estate investor along with my wife, Jennifer, but we used to be just corporate professionals. You know, I mean, we worked in the, in, I worked in Silicon Valley and I was building teams and growing uh, tech companies across five different software companies for about 13 years. Um, my wife, Jennifer, you know, she had her own unique career as well. And I think that now, prior to COVID, uh, we had started kind of shifting our, our strategy uh, so significantly away from traditional investing and, you know, 401ks while we were working full time, you know, making solid income and a stable household for our kids and ourselves here in the Bay Area. Not exactly the cheapest market you can think of. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it, it's really evolved from go in do good work, make that W-2 income, save some towards retirement along the way, even maxing out our 401ks at times, you know, and just doing traditional investing in like index funds, um, you know, pretty, pretty traditional mainstream stuff. But ultimately it really came down to a moment when I was working at one particular, uh, you know, you might've heard the term unicorn, you know, like a really, really hot kind of rocket ship uh, tech company a few years back. And I really hadn't seen, one of my my infant son at the time in a few weeks because I was working eighty to hundred hours a week, uh, not exaggerating, and it was kind of a typical Silicon Valley narrative where we thought that we were going to get some big equity check from one of these uh, startups we were working at. That's a very common kind of unwritten playbook uh, that a lot of people out here are are banking on. And long story short, um, something had to give, you know. So we started exploring other strategies and just trying to figure out like. How, how are we going to move on from this to get a more balanced approach to start truly like 
playing offense and understanding our finances better and then investing based on that understanding. So, man, it, it really uh, it also was informed by some pretty challenging times that I even witnessed and experienced when I was growing up. Uh, we don't have to take it there if you don't want to hear it, but I'll just say that going through a the, the kind of rise and fall of a, uh, a flourishing financial household, even as a kid and a teenager uh, with my dad's small business, left a strong impression on me. Um, and I think that that really showed me what not to do, um, particularly as like a parent um, and someone trying to provide a, you know, a household with stability, more of a defensive move um, that I saw there that didn't work. And that, that's why I want to play offense today. Okay, so you're saying that being in that, that working that 80 to 100 hours a week as you were and just putting everything away in the 401k and all the traditional investments, you're calling that a defensive financial plan. Yeah, you know, in hindsight, now it looks so defensive to me because in the end, we, at the time, we really looked at it like it was a stable, low-risk way to go build your family wealth, you know, for our family wealth. And we thought two active incomes, one from myself, one from, you know, my, my wife and co-founder, Jennifer. And along the way, we'd be putting money away for the future for retirement. But what I also noticed was like, man, I, I, I would hear stories from you know colleagues and friends and family. And even like I, I look back at the time when I was growing up and I watched my dad's business implode while I was working in it. And those active income streams, if they go away, if one of them goes away, particularly if something were to happen to me, something were to happen to um, to Jennifer, that would be a big hit on on our stability as a family. And so even more so working in Silicon Valley at some of these startups, like you, you never really know like which way it's going to go. And so ultimately we decided to say, how do we go and like kind of de-risk and, get, and start playing offense in terms of creating more income streams into our household and also just educating ourselves on how to go out and even maybe build like a side hustle, you know, and that's the type of thinking on the offense that was kind of mind blowing. And it came from education. You know, I went out and devoured 24 books, I think, over the course of a 12-month period, which is a little more than you probably needed to do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I devoured, uh, you know, about 20, I'm sorry, about uh, 400 podcasts, if I count, count them during that year. You know, so it was an intense education period, Heather. Um, you know, but I think podcasts just like like, like yours are, are the kinds of things that helped me get to the point where I was like, there's got to be a smarter way to do this. Because what's the exit strategy I was asking myself, like, what's the exit strategy from this? You know, like, like it's another 20 years. You know, I'm, I'm just in my late 30s right now. But if at yeah, the time is like, is this another 20, 30 years of the same playbook? We're ultimately not, su- not super satisfied with de-risking the household's ri- um, income stream risk if something happens to me or Jennifer. And also just not really feeling like I have a lot of flexibility in life. You know, right. and so ultimately that, that, that's kind of where it came down to. Sounds like, to me, what I'm hearing is that just the one job, well, I mean, Jennifer, your wife, had another one, but basically you had one job, and it would be as if I invested all of my money into Amazon stock. So that's the only stock I had, and my income was derived on how well Amazon stock went up and down. That would be like your one job. Like, are you secure in that job? Whereas investors all say you need to diversify, have a huge portfolio where you've got a little bit of money in all these different assets. And you went and investigated different forms of, in, of income streams. 
like getting money from a bunch of different places instead of just one job. Am I hearing that right? That's exactly right. Yeah, really well uh, compared. You know, I think that I'll give you an example. You know, the first thing that we went out and did was, I mean, as a guy who grew up in a real estate household working for my dad's business, I didn't really find it that exciting at the time. I mean, frankly, he was making me work and do all kinds of stuff I wasn't that excited about because I was in Silicon Valley working for a real estate company. And no one thinks that's cool. <laughs> when, you're, you know, when you're a teenager and you're working open houses and, 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 and running around doing that stuff, it's not exactly super cool to say that versus saying, I'm going to go work for Facebook. So um, flash forward to the last you know few years, we went out and bought a rental. It, it, it was really hard to do, frankly. It was really hard to go out and buy that rental um, in the Bay Area. And because we wanted to get rental income. In hindsight, you know, there's a few things we would have done differently, but that was like the first move that we made. Uh, we went out and bought a rental. It creates, you know, another income stream for us. And that's when it kind of clicked. It was like, hey, if we go out and do something like this, it doesn't even necessarily need to be a rental or even real estate, but you can start to see a strategy that forms. And we saw that. And we started to look at that as offense letter. And so if you were to compare it back to the thing that you mentioned, um, banking on like one form of stock all in on a portfolio, that's a really smart and cool way to think about it. It's like our household and our, our stability was previously tied to just those two incomes. But what if we started to like build out a series of them, you know, to the point where, where we're at now, where we have quite a few. And so something could actually, I mean, we could basically just, you know, stop working in, in a couple of cases and we'd, we'd be okay as a family um, because we've been working on the strategy for years now. Um, but but, but that, that, that's the idea. So are all of your income streams tied to real estate in some way? No, not all of them, but many. You know, like, like we definitely believe in, in that asset class. And it's, it's literally been so successful that we ended up, you know, organically creating like an investing group out of that. That is our, our chosen strategy. And we do, we do that across different asset classes. Um, but we also use others too. You know, I think that building side hustles and it also um, you know, you can invest in all kinds of different things that generate income streams. You can do it in websites. You can do it uh, in, in real estate, like a rental. Um, you could do it at stuff that we like, um, that we focus on a bit more, which are like funds and you know syndications and all these other different types. But there's all there's all types. Okay. Well, this is a good place to take a break. When we come back, I may have an, just one or two other questions to follow up on that. But we're going to move on to declining executive roles to build your own financial moat, which may be similar to what we just talked about, but it sounds different and interesting. And I I love anything that's a castle and a moat around it. So we're good there. So we'll be right back with Spencer Hillegoss. He is the CEO and co-founder of Madison Investing. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. 
Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that if it affects your life in any way, we're talking about it. And today we're talking about getting your finances from a defensive position to an offensive and, and maybe building a moat around your finances, which I'm not really sure about that one. But joining me today is Spencer Hillegas. He is the CEO and co-founder of Madison Investing. Welcome back, Spencer. Hey, Heather. Great to be here. Excited for the conversation. (laughs) All right. I do want to ask you, in that first segment, we talked about your idea of what a defensive financial state was, and that was having just like one job, very traditional. You put all your money into a 401k for retirement, which I'm hoping you have it funded pretty well, given the amount of hours you were working. And then you changed over to multiple income streams. But are you making more money now than you were in the one job? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think it, to answer that question, I kind of have to also add a, a slightly different perspective as well, which is that, you know, I think about what is ultimately the purpose of of all this work, you know, putting all these hours, those 80 to 100 hours I was doing at the day job. And what, what, I, what I used to track in terms of am I making uh, healthy income, strong income, and I, and I building wealth. I used to think of it like the total, you know, like the gross number that shows up on your W-2 um, or on, let's say, um, your tax return. And what I changed, I changed my perspective to start tracking it based on what am I making per hour? And I think that that matters very much so in addition to looking at someone's net worth. And so like that, like that that's what I started to look at because I think every single person out there, um, present company included, really starts to get a different lens on the world and the value of their own time when they literally assign a dollar value to it. And I, and I think that um, it's not just about what your company tells you that you're worth. So that, that might be a little bit philosophical for some folks because it's a journey that got me to the point of saying that with such clarity and confidence for myself. But 80 to 100 hours at a startup that is you know, paying you good income, I would not want that compared to where we're at now, which is more balanced lifestyle where I can, you know, I, now I just run my own company, but I would just say that more hours with my children. Right. And arguably, if that, if that income is, is at the same level that it was when I was working 80 to 100 hours in a demanding career, never got to see my kids, and I'm more present when I'm with my children, I'm more present when I'm with my wife, I can actually have better health and fitness and all these wonderful things that come along with it. That's the stuff that comes along with being able to have a more balanced and integrated Kind of like income approach and like wealth approach, and so that that's really what we were going for. And so, to answer your question, yes, um, <laughs> I, we're actually doing uh, even even better now. But I would just say that it's the value of the time. It, it's priceless time to be able to go and focus on those aspects right. of life. And I do want to quantify for some of the listeners who may be hourly. They're going, hey, you're going to make a ton of money at eighty to a hundred hours a week. But you're talking about being a salaried employee and you get the exact same salary or paycheck whether you work 40 hours a week or 100 hours a week. So the more hours you go over that 40, your hourly pay, so to speak, decreases. And that's what you're talking about as far as your wealth is concerned. Yes. And thank you so much for that clarification. That's exactly right. And and then you put on top of that your quality of life. So even if you were making 80000 a year, you're saying for that $80,000, it wasn't worth it to you 
because you are missing out on time with your kids. So with the with the multiple income streams, maybe you're only making $70,000 a year, but you've got a whole lot more time with your kids and that to you is more valuable. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I think that's spot on. And, and of course, to your point as well, Heather, like I think everyone will have a different definition of wealth. I mean, not to get too corny here for folks, but like, I, I really think that that's important because we sat down first, Jennifer and I, and we really, we mapped out our goals together. And that wasn't just always a straightforward conversation. I mean, we, we, we literally took, I kid you not, like two whole weekends. There was uh, some nerdy sticky notes on whiteboards and us mapping out, where do we want to be in a few years? You know, lifestyle-wise, income-wise, all those things, um, including how much time availability do we want to have with our children and with each other. And that came before we really started making some of these decisions and making these moves. Um, and so it, my version and our version of, hey, we're okay making a little bit less or even the same we made in our corporate careers combined, so somewhere in that ballpark, um, and being able to have, I don't know, 20 more hours per week to be able to focus on family and health and, you know, maybe even a little time to go focus on social life again, you know, <laughs> outside of the context of COVID where we haven't been able to see folks that much, you know. Um, but I just wanted to add that because I think the goal setting was crucial. Yeah, I think a lot of that that people may not think about is how happy are they in their work li- work and personal life. I had a similar experience almost 20 years ago now, and I wasn't making near the money you were, I'm assuming. My degree was in aviation, worked at an airline making maybe 12 bucks an hour back in the day. And I was not happy. I was miserable. All you know, the only thing I did all day long was try was bump people off oversold flights. They yelled and screamed. We, you know, you'd have a cancellation because of the weather. People were not happy. And I was just like, wow, I'm not making enough money for the you know what you have to go through at working at an airline. So I went back to school for broadcasting and love it. When I started off, I was making less money per hour, um but I quickly, you know, raises every year um now making substantially more money and so much happier. But so I could have still stayed at 12 bucks an hour and been very very happy. You know, like that's an incredible story. Seriously, like I, I think that that's an awesome story because you decided that you you realized and took stock of it and said you were going to go and pivot and invest in something that you have, you would actually go and find more fulfilling. And in addition to in addition to that, you could still put food on the table, you know. And, and like I I wish wish I had found that clarity myself earlier in my career, um, but that's awesome that you did. Cool. All right. So I'm not sure, but I'm thinking that this next topic that you have is if you call it declining executive roles to build your own financial moat might be a little bit about what we were talking about. Like I could have progressed at the airlines and become a station manager and a regional manager. I was on that track and I hated that life. And so I essentially declined an executive role and took something else. I'm just not sure what you mean by building your own financial moat. Yeah, you know, this I've been told by both uh, friends, colleagues, and otherwise that this is a bit of a contrarian perspective. So I have to be thoughtful in the way that I frame it because it's taken me a while to to, to get to this perspective. But it's it's so important, which is that th- this is actually what happened in my career was I got to the point where you know, maybe about nine years in, it was going well, you know, like in terms of ladder climbing, you know, if you want to look at it that way, you know, like promotions from, you know, 
just doing frontline, whether it's associate work or, or, or you know, just entry-level work, all the way up to mid-management and then senior management, et cetera. But it got to the point where I, I took stock of my calendar, very similar to what we talked about earlier. And while I was, you know, trying to go and build this wealth, this play this financial offense, um, and I'll speak to the building your moat comment in a moment, I realized that going to, you know, VP level, C-level roles, and I was getting offered those, I started to decline them because I realized that there, there wasn't really a benefit that I was interested in because you start adding hours onto your week. You start adding on other responsibilities. You start adding on, you know, social, social events at night, uh, dinners, you know, like meetings, like weekends, like you have to go do these, uh, a substantial number of hours, like 10 to 15 to 20 hours as these otherwise what would sound kind of exciting promotions, you know, like we're being offered. And it's a great problem to have. Totally self-aware of that. And, and I'm not complaining about that. It's more just like I worked so hard to get to that position, as so many people do, to be handed a new role where, hey, you might get a, a, a raise along with that. But what is the cost of doing that? So I started to like decline them and using those same hours I would have used toward that new job to build other financial means for our family. And I, and it, it was tough. It's not easy to go. To, it's not easy to go to your boss or like a new company that just made you a job offer, and they show you a, an impressive offer, and you simply say, you know what, it's just not necessarily, um, you know, a fit uh, for us at this stage of life. And basically, going home earlier, spending more time with the family, but also building new, like building our business. Like we literally built our business, and I built our business on nights and weekends. You know, wake, sometimes waking up at 4 a.m. over the course of 12 months just to go and do that before I go into my day job. But I wouldn't have been able to do any of that creative, you know, building for side hustles or thoughtfully, uh, you know, investigating new investing strategies for our, 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 our company and ourselves if I had said yes to those jobs. And so it was just so key to make the time availability to think Wow. Okay. We need to take one more break. When we come back, we'll try to tie everything together. So we'll be right back with Spencer Hillegoss, CEO and co-founder of Madison Investing. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about getting your financial life in order, getting off the defense, defending those finances, and going on the offense to maybe bringing more income to you, or at least in different ways. Joining me today is Spencer Hillegoss. He is the CEO and co-founder of Madison Investing. Now that we've sort of laid the groundwork of basically the difference between defense and offensive financial planning or your state of finances anyway, and what led up to that. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now, where you have these different streams of income. Yeah, you know, happy to. So I think I'll take it back very briefly. Um, and I think that a couple assumptions are baked in, Heather, um, and I want them to make sure that your listeners are going to hear this first, which is, you know, we, we had uh, two established careers at the time when Jennifer and I decided to go and start making these decisions to invest in different ways than we had previously. So not everyone's six circumstances will be the same, but I strongly believe that there are two ways at a high level that anyone can go out and create more income streams for, the, for, for their family and for themselves, which is you can build them and or you can buy them. And 
you know, I didn't coin those terms by any means, but that's just how I think about them conceptually and to make this very real for people. So it's not super abstract. So by building an income stream, someone can go out and, you know, build a YouTube channel and over time ramp that up to be something that actually creates revenue and income for them um, based on ad revenue. I, like we, we have not done that, to be clear, but that is something that I know a number of people who have done that. You can go off and do any other number of consultative or like coaching programs that ultimately can scale all these different options to build income streams. We were in a position where we wanted to go down more like the buy income streams path. And really, that's just another way of saying like, hey, there's ways to invest for something called cash flow instead of what most people do and what we used to do, which is investing for appreciation. And so, you know, if you buy a stock, you're assuming it's going to go up (laughs) the time you buy it. You, You buy it at a certain price, it goes up. And perhaps in the future, you sell it. So it went up in value. You, you, you wanted to get a gain on that. But along the way, you know, if you held that stock for two to three years, it wasn't necessarily producing income unless it was a dividend stock. And even then, I, I hadn't found any that produced something that was meaningful enough or big enough to really make a dent in, in our lifestyle. So what we started to look for was other ways to solve for that because we didn't have time. You know, if someone has time, they can go build an income stream. We had we had strong footing financially so we could go and have some capital to invest in, in kind of buying income streams. So we went and looked at like rental real estate, you know, it was familiar territory from growing up. And I was like, Hey, let's go look at rentals. You can buy a rental property. And as a guy sitting in the Bay area, that was pretty intimidating because real estate here is crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. And we started out, we still somehow pulled that off. We bought a rental. It didn't quite produce the income that we were hoping, but it's at least it pays for itself. We still have it now. But then we looked outside of the area. We then invested in places way more affordable, but could still produce literally the exact same amount of income per month. So I'll give real numbers for folks. Um, We bought a duplex in the Bay Area. It cost too much money. I'll just say it that way. (laughs) Um, It it produces still, you know, roughly about 200 bucks a month in positive cash flow. That's That's not really life changing for most folks. We then went out and bought, over time, we bought a series of single-family homes way out in Missouri. And I don't recommend people just jump out and go do this immediately. There's an education gap to be filled for sure to make sure that people can go and do this responsibly and and, and, and make a good move. But that produced about the same amount. <laughs> and and it was a fraction of the price. I mean, we're, we're talking um, properties that were, you know, at the time about, you know, $50,000, $60,000. And that's total. So you could still take out a loan and put down anywhere from ten to $15,000 is to buy it, and that will produce $200 a month in income. So it's that, that was a second move. And then we eventually graduated from that and realized they were still a little bit more work than we wanted to put in for managing them because like, we still had property managers. That was a journey of both education as well as like income building, income stream building. So we got to the point where we had a number of these things producing income for our family. And ultimately, we realized we still wanted to go get something that was a little bit even more uh, hands-off because we still had to we still had to, to field phone calls for management that we didn't want to field. We eventually found some other ways to do that where you can invest in funds and uh, like real estate syndications and, and, and you have to do you know your homework. You have to work with people that know this stuff and because there's definitely ways to go out and do this wrong. But we have had a overwhelmingly positive experience just getting into that as investors ourselves. And so that's what we did. Uh, we started investing in these things and over time, they have started to build up income streams and we were doing that while we were working still full time. And so by the time I 
put in my, you know, my resignation. Uh, to, and this is back in 2019. Um, we had built up some meaningful income streams that they gave us confidence, Heather, and like it let us basically go and pull the trigger to say, I'm going to quit my day job, because we had ended up building a business around this. I mean, we had friends and family, uh, colleagues that were asking us, like, what are you guys, what are you guys investing in that are working so well for you? And that was very organic. It was like, well, well, if there's enough people asking us about this, then we should see, we could probably go build a business around this. So that's what we did. So now it was a, just a whirlwind of a journey. Uh, and, and that, that is really at a high level how, how it worked. Like start local, do expenses, go out beyond California, more, more affordable, still get cash flow, get income from these things. Even more passive, we wanted to go beyond that. So we wanted to go invest in these other things. And what I'm really talking about is like apartment buildings. You can go invest in a piece of that with other people and get income from it. Other stuff like that, but I don't want to go zero to sixty too much on the real estate right. nerd stuff because okay. I love it. Because I love it. <laughs> okay, so your company now, because you say you're CEO and co-founder of Madison Investing, do you invest in these apartments under that name, or is this a company that if I'm looking to learn about this, I can just call up Madison Investing and go, "Okay, teach me what I need to know so that I can make the money you do." Yeah, actually, it's both. You know, we, we really walk the walk on this front. Uh, I mean, I would say to, to the degree that a lot of people, I think I wish more people would. You know, I think that we, we, we have baked this into our family wealth plan to the point where we go out and we find people who are these deep real estate experts in other states that are more affordable than California but have really great income potential. Um, and we vet the heck out of them. We put our own money in as, as investors uh, with them. Um, and we do all that. And if that goes well, we then say, well, we have medicine investing is really just an investing group. I mean, it's, it's people can sign up on our website, all that stuff. And if they decide that it's helpful and we provide education materials and folks can just talk to me and um, I'm a resource for them, then they can invest alongside us in the stuff that we invest in as well. Um, and so it's really that simple. It's been awesome and really rewarding, frankly, to like sit down with people that I know, even from the tech world, that are just brilliant, you know, way smarter than I am, frankly. But they invest very traditionally, and they are in a similar spot, frankly, that I used to be in myself in my career. And so, like, educating them on the fact that this isn't rocket science necessarily. It's just a different way of allocating some of their investment portfolio. And and people should absolutely, in my humble opinion, still, you know, talk to the right experts and, and, and like, invest in their, their retirement and all those wonderful things because that – because that's just a good idea. However, there's other ways to do it beyond that. And um, and it's been fun. You know, I get to educate folks every day, and I, I learn from them as well because they get to connect with folks from every part of the country. If people are interested in learning more, what is the website for Madison Investing? So it's just madisoninvesting.com. And, you know, folks can just click a button on there. It's, uh, they can join our newsletter. And uh, if, they see, if they sign up, they will also get an option to book a time just for a free consultation uh, with me. I am as friendly on the phone call as I as you hear me right here. I promise I don't bite. So it's, it's really just it, it's a way to educate and hopefully spread the word about this stuff that has helped us so much. All right. Well, thank you so much, Spencer Hillegoss. Again, you are the CEO and co-founder of Madison Investing. And I've learned about the difference between defensive and offensive finances in my own personal life. And apparently I sort of did that 20 years ago and didn't even know it. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Heather. This has been fun. 
Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.